Thank you so much, Claudia, for being here. We have a very exciting topic today, and I wanted to introduce Claudia Miller, MPH, owner of Claudia T. Miller LLC. So she does a lot of career coaching. She's bilingual in English and Spanish. She's a career coach and a host of her own podcast. So definitely check it out too. Uh, so I just want to dive right in here. Can you give me a little bit of an introduction of yourself? Like it be about yourself, your background, or your hobbies, if anything? Yeah. So I am a career coach. So I help career-driven women in tech get the jobs they want at salaries they love. And even during COVID, I've been able to help clients get jobs within 90 days or less, and even get jobs with anywhere between 15 all the way up to $100,000 in salary increases. And my background really, I worked in finance, then I went into education, like high, uh, higher ed education. Then I went to hospital setting, and then I went into the private insurance side. So I've been able to effortlessly pivot into different industries while still making at least $30,000 in salary increases. But that's before, mm -hmm. I mean, now I just work full-time as a career coach and workplace expert. What made you make the jump? Was it just like you wanted to do career coaching or you ended up liking it more? Well, I've always wanted to have my own business. So I started my first business at 25, okay. um, virtual admin. So I'm like, well, I keep talking about having a business and starting a business, but I haven't done anything about it. And I have a thing mm -hmm. about it. Like I cannot keep saying something and not do something. So I told myself, either you shut up about it or you do something about it, but you have a three month deadline. So I started my first business mm -hmm. and, you know, <laughs> learning all the strategies that I know now, it was for personal reasons. I wasn't looking to start a career coaching business. Honestly, didn't even know that existed. So I went and went on this journey to embarked on really how to understand how to get ahead in my career. How do I stand out? How do you get noticed and promoted? How can I get salary increases? How can I make over six figures before the age of 25? So I did a lot of this research and invested a lot and worked with a lot of professionals because I was trying to find the answers for myself. And through mm -hmm. there, I learned so much. And through trial and error, I know what works and doesn't work and how hard it is to do a lot of these things that, you know, I started helping out my friends and then my friends are referring to other people. So all of a sudden I'm like, well, I still want to have a life and I still have my business. I still have a job. <laughs> and I got a business insider article, like a four part feature, and it received over a million views in less than a week. So that's when I, you know, I've already, I immersed myself so much into this because I enjoyed it. And that's when I shut down my virtual admin business and then started working with clients in career coaching across various industries and levels of experience. And they kept getting the same results over and over. And actually, they started getting better results than what I did, which was that was the goal. I was looking to refine this process. And last year, I was at a crossroads. So I got a job offer at my company at the time with like another 30K salary increase. It was going to be more around marketing, which that's something I wanted to pivot into. And I also could go full time in my business. And I just, I just wasn't sure. And my husband finally said, well, there's no better time than now than to pivot to your business. There's a lot of people that need help, people that are unemployed, that don't know what to do or how to do it. And you're able to help mm -hmm. them. Why don't you try your business full time and see where it goes? Where's the scenario you can easily find a job. So that's what I did. I went full time last year. And since then, you know, been very successful. And it's crazy to think that I quit my six-figure job in the midst of a pandemic. But you know what? I've actually been doing and been more successful in my business. 
So, and I'm able to help other people. So that's really how I got here and then how I'm a career coach. That's an amazing story. I feel like you came in right at the right time too. A lot of people are like, oh, I need to find a job. I need to like make sure I have a solid income because of the pandemic. So I feel like you swooped right in and helped a lot of people yeah. that way. And I mean, I've had my business now for seven years and worked with hundreds of mm -hmm. clients, but yeah, now I'm able to help even more people because I do, yeah. I've been doing this full time now. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So these are like some kind of questions I like to ask and almost every single podcast episode. But like, if you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? I had all the time in the world. I don't, I mean, honestly, I'm always, I'm in a growth. I'm always in a growth mindset. I'm a life learner. So I'm always agreeing mm -hmm. to different things. So like, for example, right mm -hmm. now I'm learning marketing and copywriting. Um, so that's one. And then I'm also reading like books like you know how women rise and how like leadership and that's something that I just do personally um mm -hmm. you know one thing that I also enjoy is dancing so I do a lot of like salsa meninga dancing so maybe I would do that a little bit more uh but honestly I feel like I already do a lot of the stuff that I enjoy I what things mm -hmm. I don't enjoy if it doesn't serve me I just don't do them at this point <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's a good mindset to yeah, have. Yeah, so it's like I already do a lot of the things that I enjoy. I guess I would try to include more like meditation and maybe try to do yoga, yeah. which I feel like I never have time, but that's a matter of priority, not that I don't have time. <laughs> but we have a lot of questions here. I really want to jump into being the career side of it. So a lot of our listeners are actually very career driven and interested in jobs at tech and consulting. Have you worked with clients going into those industries? Yes, I would say at least 60 to 75% of my clients either are coming from those industries or are looking to pivot into those industries. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So from those people, what are some common mistakes you've seen people make in the process in terms of like either pivoting into the field or the actual salary negotiation portion of it? Well, first they're intimidated because they're switching industries. It doesn't matter what industry you're coming from, even mm -hmm. if it's from tech into something else, consulting or consulting into tech, everyone feels inadequate or feel like they have to take a um, a job that's below where they're currently at or take a pay cut mm -hmm. because they, they need to learn. And uh, that's a misconception. That's not true. An industry is just an industry. It's just going to change. Like Even if you move it to, within the same company into a different product line, let's just say you do consulting for a company for their healthcare business. But then you, you could also, they also have a pharmaceutical business. There's going to be a learning curve there. So instead of stop, start, Stop thinking about it as just an industry and whole animal in itself. Instead is let's just see like what are the transferable skills that are still yeah. needed for this role? Not so much industry. It's role, honestly, because I've had mm -hmm. like clients that may be project managers um, within a marketing company and now they want to be project managers to tech. And for some reason, they're like, well, I'm going to have to take a pay cut and I'm willing to do that. I'm like, why? You're literally doing the same job just for a different industry. It's a different client. You know that there's project mm -hmm. managers that um, it's like a service of it. And then they work with various clients, just like consultants. You work with so many different clients that it's not a matter of like, oh, I've never worked with them. It's need to understand the best practices and frameworks and then highlight those transferable skills related to the role in itself. And just speaking the, the business yeah. document. 
technology has a different verbiage and words as opposed to someone in like not-for-profit or within the e-commerce page. So start learning those jargon or those business acumen words and then highlight the transferable Mm -hmm. skills. And then that's really going to help them in that pivot change. And no, you don't need to take a salary cut. I've had clients where they've, Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I've been able to do this and my clients have been able to do this as well, where they've changed industries and types of roles and they still were able to either, they at least make more. I mean, like, to be honest, my clients, the lowest I've seen is like $15,000 more, but that's because they wanted to, they've gotten job offers for 30, 40 K, but some people just, maybe they just want to work at PlayStation. Like they're really good into gaming or really into gaming. (laughs) So they don't care what other companies offer. Like they just want to work at PlayStation. So those are the situations, but there's no need to take a pay cut, even if you're changing industries. Yeah, I think like regardless of changing industries or changing roles, that's the part where a lot of people I know are like, oh, I'm going to take a pay cut. Like maybe, I mean, I feel like this is a drastic example. Like you're a doctor, you're probably going to make like, I don't know, 150000 something like that. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to go into tech, but I have absolutely no transferable skills. But there are. It's just a matter of like a different shift. But in that kind of situation where it's like even the skills are a bit hard to transfer how would you even take that? Oh my God, there's so, so I've had actually a lot of um, physicians, not a lot. I mean, I would say a handful of physicians where they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I feel guilty because I went mm-hmm. to medical school and everything. I want to work in tech and there's a lot of opportunities. So they are called um, industry experts and now they don't have to pay cut. Mm-hmm. They can either make as much or more. Um, and I've seen it where they're sometimes getting paid 300,000 a year. And all they do is, come in as an industry expert. So for example, if a tech company is looking to sell Salesforce for hospitals um, and a bunch of like family practices and clinical um, clinics, they'll go to the doctor and say, well, how can we get access to these physicians? Oh, well, there's these associations. You can go to this conference. Okay. And what are some of the pain points I might do? Or what do doctors really care about that we can highlight for our product or service? Oh, we really care about this. Mm-hmm. If you can solve this for us, and if your power source can do that, then I am all ears. And that's literally what they mm-hmm. do. They talk about that. They're like, well, how would you reframe this for a physician? If you were to have a meeting with them, how would you reframe this? Well, I would say it this way. And sometimes they'll have that physician go and talk to that other physician saying, hey, I'm a physician. Mm-hmm. I was in the same boat as you. I hated when this A, B, and C happened. And you know what, I, we have this product service that's really going to help you. And not only that, it can achieve A, B, and C, and it's been doing this for all these other, you know, previous uh, family mm-hmm. practices. So literally that, they don't have to take a pay cut. They are, and sometimes they can do this part-time. Some companies will say, we're willing to keep you part-time and still pay you that 300K salary while you're still, you know, taking care of patients. We just need you during these time frames to help us build these business cases because they're going after three, four, five million, sometimes a hundred million dollar deals that paying them 300,000 mm-hmm. is literally nothing to them. And it's hard to get yeah. a doctor to be able to, you know, give you that time and expertise for especially these big deals. So like I said, there's, there's always a way to change and pivot industries without having to take a pay cut. If you know how to do it, if you don't know how to do it, then it's easier mm-hmm. to say, well, I'm just going to start an entry level job and work my way up until, you know, I get to the level I want to be at. Yeah. 
So speaking of that, like I know like around this time of year, a lot of companies are going through year end reviews. They're looking at all of their performances and see like, okay, do you get a promotion? Do you get a raise or do you not get a raise at all? So in that case, like how would you even prepare for a year end review? I think like at this point we're in the later end of the year, but like we're talking about maybe summertime, but I know it's not just a one-time thing. It's more of like a actual constant thing that you should be working on. Not just like, I'm going to work on this this one particular week and I want to get that promotion. So how would you prepare for it? I mean, uh, every company is different. I've seen year-end reviews happen actually during between January and April. I mean, I even had year-end reviews mm -hmm. that was in April discussing last year. But if you, you already know it's coming, start preparing for it. How do you prepare for it? start building think of it as a business case and i know a lot of your listeners are maybe consultants or in the tech industry build a case around it it's almost like creating a campaign if you're in marketing so what have you done in the past 12 months and more than likely you're not going to remember everything you've done so this is a good best practice to do moving forward to say oh i'm working on this project here's why i'm working on this project here's the objective this is why it's important here's the current state here's everything that the team and i or i did Here's what the results, here's where some of the obstacles and challenges we came across, because then you're building this massive, I call it achievement portfolio. And if you don't know, try to go into like your email inbox and your calendars and see all the different types of projects that you've worked on. And for the consultants mm -hmm. out there, do not talk about, you know, the results so much. Talk about the pain points. So the, I, this is something I see along mm. with my consultants um, where they're writing their resume or they're trying to sell themselves and they'll say, you know, I worked with the pharmaceuticals, I worked in manufacturing, e-commerce, and we've been able to do a lot of cost savings for them. Okay. Well, what were some of the pain points they were feeling? Why did they bring the consultants in? What was the, the pain so big that they're willing to invest sometimes millions of dollars to come outside and let them know what is going on? That's where the value really is. So you want to make sure, and if you don't know, start asking questions, ask the client, ask your manager, try to figure it out because that's what people want to hire for because them getting the results are going to be like, great, but that's not us. Can you help us? But when you talk about pain points, people are able to relate to pain points more, more than so much the yeah. outcome. Then you can say, well, you know, someone similar to you, kind of like we're experiencing, we did, you know, certain strategies and we, they were able to achieve A, B, and C, and they were experiencing and they were at the same place you're currently in. Now it's more relatable and understandable. But if you tell me I worked with clients, gotten them this result, my immediate thought is, well, you probably get that for them, but not for us. Like we're a little bit different or whatever it is. We're a special case scenario. So that's what I would really focus on. But again, to kind of prepare for year end reviews, make a list of all the projects that you worked on. And you know, ask, ask those questions that I mentioned previously. Then try to quantify and find metrics. Every job out there has metrics. If you're in technology, maybe you're um, an engineer for an app or a, a new system, then you can track to see, you know, how many users are in that system in itself. Are you targeting a new demographic oh. or a new segment? Um, and if so, how long did it take you to come to it from from concept to execution? Um, did you meet the go live launch date? And if so, how many errors were there? And, you know, did you do a QA or quality audit? And then did you identify any issues? If so, how many issues? And what did you save by identifying them early that you help prevent? So like I said, there's metrics in every single position out there. And I've had clients tell me, well, I bet you you can't find any metrics in mine. And I bet you differ. <laughs> I, I'll bet you a million dollars I can find metrics in any single job out there. So start identifying those numbers and, you know, like once you start identifying 
trying, you want to build a business case and you want to let your manager know about it. So you're not going to spring this on them and say like, hey, we're going to talk about how, how can I make more? You can send an email in advance and say, hi, Christine, I look forward to my year in review um, on this date. I, I look you know, forward to do, recapping all of the, you know, the past 12 months, especially in this where I had so much fun and also discussing um, compensation adjustment. Um, you know, I look forward to the conversation and let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Um, you know, I'm currently working on prepping my documents um, to kind of really highlight what, it, what I've done the past 12 months, something like that, just to let mm -hmm. them know that that conversation is coming up because what you don't want is one bombard them and then they just start getting defensive or, or they mm -hmm. can say, well, you know what, Christine, I really have to check in with HR. Uh, I don't know if I can do that. If they, if you give them enough time to prep, they can talk to HR, they can figure out how much money they have in the budget, or they can have, what I don't like about companies is sometimes they have, um, they're prepping for next year's budget before they even start having year end reviews. So you want to make sure you get ahead of it. And let's just say if it's two, three months out, let them know. You know, I want to make sure I, I talk about or we discuss um, compensation adjustment. And, you know, again, let me know. I look forward to that year end review again so they can have time to start prepping for this. And then once you go yeah. into that conversation, uh, be prepared show them say you know what uh christine i you know these past 12 months i've been really great and i was trying to recap everything that i've been doing and in these past 12 months i worked on 15 different projects and it all ranged from a b c and d and probably my biggest achievement has been this one especially when you know we came across this challenge or obstacle but we were able to do this but also we know what not to do and we've gained that insight that's really going to help me be even better you know in the next upcoming months so um, based on the responsibility and work, and I know that based on the job posting, my job has now the responsibilities have increased and I'm very happy about it. Obviously, I'm very excited and I've been very successful. Um, I did want to discuss compensation adjustment because based on the market rate for my role, I should be getting paid anywhere. I should be paid within a range of 60 to 70,000. Is there any way we can close that gap? And just, just stay quiet and let them talk. That's going to be the hardest part is not mm -hmm. talking. Just stay quiet and <laughs> let them tell you. Now, I will say you need to come in with a plan A, B, and C. They might say, no, we currently don't have the budget. Uh, I understand. So if salary can be, you know, adjusted, can we discuss benefits? Because maybe you want, mm -hmm. honestly, that extra $10,000 to get the certification, you know, that costs a lot of money. So if you have that plan B that you can say, well, honestly, you know, the reason I wanted this salary increase is because I want to be able to take these certifications, which is, you know, a very highly desired skill set just overall in my role. And I know this will make me a better employee, but I don't want, you know, is there any way that we can, um, you know, come to a number we both agree on that can help me pay for a lot of these certifications, but you need to be prepared. Otherwise it's harder to have that conversation right on the spot. So Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is be prepared. If they say no, which is very likely, I'm not going to say everyone's going to give you a salary increase, but based on the data, 75% of people that ask for the raise get the raise. But let's just say you don't get the raise. What are you going to do about it? You can either one, say, all right, well, I guess you're not going to give me that. I hate my balls. Why didn't they give that? Do they not appreciate me? Everyone's maybe getting paid more and blah, blah, blah. Or B, are you going to say, well, if they don't give me the raise, I start looking for a job and get paid the market rate. So 
pick one or the other. I would say if you are going to stay in your job, don't stay there and be miserable and complain to everyone how much you hate your job, how much you won't get promoted, how much you're not getting paid more. Instead, do something about it. Use that energy towards something that's going to actually get you paid. And mm-hmm. the rule of thumb is if you're an individual contributor, so if you're just even if you're just starting out, you should negotiate your salary. I had a client where she hadn't even graduated college. They offered her um, a full-time job and she wasn't going to graduate until like six, nine months. And I think it was the offer was at 60,000. She came back and said, you know what? Um, I'm looking for a salary range of 75 to 85,000. Is there any way we can close that gap? They said, well, we won't be able to, we will give you 70 and we'll bump it up to 75,000 once you graduate. And it was like six, eight months from graduation. That's like, that was a quick five, eight minute conversation she had with them. She could not imagine, couldn't realize like how easy that, well, it wasn't easy, but how quick that was to get a big increase yeah. in a short amount of time. While her friends were making, getting paid 30 to 40 K a year, she was coming in making 70 and in a few months was going to make 75,000. And she hadn't even graduated college yet. So don't feel like you mm-hmm. can't negotiate because you're so early in your career or this is your first time job offer. I've seen it. People have done it. And as long as you do it the right way, like I'm showing you how right now, you'll be able to get those results as well. And I actually, like I did mention to you before, my listeners are mostly college students going into their first job too. And almost every single person I've talked to about salary negotiation, they're like, oh, but this is still pretty good compensation. I feel like I don't have to negotiate. So in the case where maybe they're at market already, at least like for entry level at that particular firm, but they want to go higher just because they have other competing offers or maybe that they just think that they deserve more. How would you even go about that? The fact that like your entry level, you a lot of people think that they don't have much to bring to the table. They do, especially right now. If you're currently job searching, especially those upcoming graduates that you know maybe graduate in May or maybe graduate it uh, or about to graduate at the end of the year, you do have a lot of leverage. And especially now, of, of course, the time of recording is like November of 2021. But I've you know I have a lot of contacts that are recruiters and hiring managers or HR people, and they're offering something called a retention bonus even to entry level where they'll that what that means is christine if i hire you and you do what you're hired to do and you stay here for 12 months i'll give you an additional bonus on top of the bonus just because i want to make sure that you don't leave somewhere else that's a retention bonus that's literally they have that on top of bonuses so if your salary is at market rate you can still negotiate sign-on bonus Um, You could talk about retention bonus. You can talk about increasing your commission or bonus at the end, um, because if it's a percentage wise, you can negotiate your year in reviews, move that up up to six months, and that accelerates your salary and maybe your promotions. You can negotiate Mm -hmm. a professional stipend. Like I said, it's expensive to get some of these certifications. I've had clients get $10,000 a year on professional stipend. They can spend it on whatever courses, certifications they want. They can get their MBA if they want to go advanced degree. They can get that paid as long as they stay within the company for a few years. They can negotiate title, mm-hmm. stock. I mean, there's a long list of benefits they can negotiate if the salary is already at market rate. And again, it's easy to have these conversations when you have a plan. So then I would say make a list of everything you would want. And you could even Google you know, additional benefits to negotiate besides your salary. Make a list mm-hmm. and then highlight what is it in green, like what you really would like, like what would enjoy. Yellow, we're like, oh, I guess this would be nice to have. But honestly, if they don't have it, I really don't care. And then red, we're like, I don't care for it at all. 
and then start making a list of which ones are your priority. If you had to choose top three, what would they be? And who, which one will be your top, you know, the next three and then the next three. And that's really your salary compensation uh, plan. So we have plan A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So if they can't meet us at A, we can start discussing B. And if that doesn't happen, we can discuss C. And usually by that point, they're like, all right, clearly there's nothing here. Then you have a choice. Do you want to stay here or do you want to go elsewhere? So a lot of my listeners are also in tech. And this is the part that because I haven't actually worked at a tech company, specifically in startups or big tech, this is the stock portion of it, the equity portion of it. I think this is so confusing for a lot of people of like, should they go for base pay increase? Should they go for bonus? Should they go for equity? Like, how would you approach that? It is confusing. I can understand. I definitely understand that my 20 year old self would be like, I have no idea what the hell this means, but it really depends. And I hate to say that answer because I hate when people tell me that answer. Well, it depends. Depends on what? How do I know? Well, it depends Mm -hmm. on the company. If you're working for Google or like where their stock is at $1,500, $1,800 for one stock, yeah, you probably want to get stock more than base. And if if it's a stock that keeps increasing in value, um, I'd rather get stock over salary. Now, my belief is I want salary and stock. I Why do I have to choose? I want both. Like, it's possible. Mm-hmm. So I would go and look at that. Now, if it's a company where their stock is at $8, $12, $15, and it's just not it's a new company. Honestly, I wouldn't care so much about stock. And it really depends because sometimes they have an employee stock purchase program. What that means is mm-hmm. you pay, you buy the stock with your paycheck before they take out taxes. So it makes it seem like you make less, therefore you're a lower tax bracket. But again, with that, I mean, there's some value to it, but if you're, if that stock is worth, worthless or not worth as much and you know you're already like this company already lost like their two three biggest clients and it's about to take a big dip i don't care how many you offer me it could be considered it could be considered worthless um same thing with some of the Mm -hmm. options uh but if it's a really good reputable reputable company that you know their stock has been growing amazon facebook google um i mean those are the companies i can think of nvidia that i think at the top of my mind where they've done really well companies like cisco as well then i want interested in base as well as the stock purchase program um the yeah the stocks in within that company itself because sometimes they're worth more I had a client where yeah. they are in tech company. They got offered, I think, around two fifty, like two hundred fifty thousand. And at the time, I think it was around, uh, I don't honestly, I can't, I can't remember right now, like fifteen hundred stock options or um, stock vesting schedule was for fifteen hundred stocks. That now mm-hmm. that is worth around one point three million or something like that. It's crazy, but it wasn't worth mm-hmm. at that time. But there was such heavy growth within the company itself that they're like, I don't care now about my $250,000 salary. I'm happy that I get, how can I get more stock? Just give me more stock because it's growing in such an exponential way that that's worth more, that it keeps tripling, quadrupling in value, you know, every year or so that I'd rather get more stock than actual salary. A 10, 15, 20K salary increase mm-hmm. means nothing when I could be getting an extra 300 to 400,000 every two to three years because of that massive growth. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the part that confuses me actually to this day is let's say, for example, you are in a pre-IPO company. How would that change things? Because now you don't actually know the value. Maybe it's like too early stage of an actual startup to know if they're going to do well or not. So there's people who get like a lot of stocks and there's people that get a lot of 
compensation, like salary wise. So it's still very difficult for people I know, like in Silicon Valley to decide which one they want to do. You have to assess your risk. Where are you at your risk level? If you're like, because uh, honestly, they can say like, we'll give you 10,000 shares, Christine. And then once we go public, you can convert that. And what I'm like, okay, what if they become a penny stock? <laughs> you know, or <laughs> what if they never make it public or they get shut down or they get bought off for another, from another smaller-ish company that is not public? Then that becomes worthless. Mm-hmm. And what I've also seen clients where they became, you know, overnight millionaires because they work at a startup, they offer them shares, they went public and all of a sudden they have, you know, million or $2 million. Now that's not enough to retire for most people, especially in like big expensive cities, but mm-hmm. it's a good starting point. That's a great cushion to have, but it's it, honestly, there's no, I can't tell you like, Oh, this company is really good. You should take their, um, take that stock. So when they go public, they can do that. There's just so many things that can go wrong. So it's really understanding like what is important to you. Now, if you have a family and you know, you need to like, you have a student loan payments that are coming out. That's going to be something crazy. Like, I don't even know what they are. They put three to $4,000 a month and they're offering you a salary of 4,000. Well, there you go. Like it's, it's going to be hard to do that. I would rather you focus and, you know, actually have some good stable living where you can afford food and rent at the same time. And then maybe some other few things, but it's really assessing that. And like I said, I mean, there's, like, there's people, especially in Silicon Valley, where all they do is they want to work at startups and get equity. So that way, mm-hmm. but again, that's a risk in itself, but that, you know, eventually they'll, one of these companies out of all of them will like make them big and make them millionaires. But still, I mean, there's also different ways like you can, um, work with, um, I guess like do some like investing and then we're going into something differently, different else, but it's all levels of risk. And honestly, I, no one can really tell you even if they are they're yeah. probably lying um, of how to do that. But it's more of like, what, what do you want? If you want to get your hands dirty and wear multiple hats and learn a lot aggressively, definitely go for a startup. And if they make it big, great. If not, then you've acquired all these skill, great skill sets that you can bring into various different companies and roles um, that might interest you and then end up paying mm-hmm. you more as well. Yeah, that definitely helps. I feel like a lot of people are always going to be in that limbo, no matter where you are. Like, for example, you're con- going for a, a house or something like that. I don't know how much weight stocks mm-hmm. will hold, but that is also a consideration. It's like, where in the life stage are you going to be at? Yeah, I mean, there's companies out there that were worth a lot and had great value in stock and now they don't exist. Nobody, like people, my sister and other younger people wouldn't even know the name of the company itself. But at one point they were at their peak. So it's really hard to say, but um, I mean, I, what I would say is if you go into a company, try to already beforehand reach out to people within that industry and tell them like, what do they do? Like uh, how do they handle these types of conversations? Cause it is very different across industries um, and types of companies in itself. All right. So this is a question I feel like, let's say, for example, you went through your year end review or you didn't get the job that you wanted to get, but you got this other one. And now that you have actually come up to this job, you're like, I still think I'm underpaid, but I haven't, my year end review either didn't do so well, or maybe that it wasn't going to the rate that I want to go for. How would you even bring up this conversation when it's like not around the time around performance review or whatnot like that? Because I feel like 
this is where it's uncharted territory, especially for a lot of women. They feel like, oh no, I don't think I deserve it. I feel like I, whatever they provided is what I think that I deserve. So breaking that conversation, how would you get that started? So I would have a conversation and every company structured differently, but I mean, if it's a small company where there's no HR, (laughs) ask your manager. Um, But, and if you have a good relationship with your manager as well, I would say, you know what, Christine, um, you know, I just wanted to schedule time with us for us to talk uh, more about the role in itself. How you could be a mid year Hmm. review. I mean, you don't have to wait a year on, you could do a mid year review. And then once you're talking, they're like, you know, I'm curious to know, like, how is compensation measured or how, how does that work? Like, you know, what is the salary range for my role and how can I move up through that salary range? Like, are there specific skill sets? There are companies out there that it's almost like a grid grading system where if you have this skills and certification, you can mm-hmm. move up a level or if you have this many years, you move up a level. So understand how is salary compensation structured some companies there, there's just no structure. It's like, well, whatever we felt like that day we offered you and you took it, well, that's the mm-hmm. salary you get paid. To understand if there's structure or no structure. And if there's no structure, then you can say, you know what, Christine, I'm, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in is maybe you want to move on to that promotion. Maybe you want to be senior project manager or senior product manager. Um, you know, I'm interested in moving to product manager in the next six to 12 months. Um, you know, if there's an opportunity here, can we start discussing on what metrics I need to hit or what skill sets mm-hmm. I need to acquire in order to prime me for this position? And then you can start talking about your promotion. Don't assume that your boss knows that you want to get promoted. You'll be surprised how many people don't want to get promoted. They're like, I'm happy where I am. I just want to go in, clock in, do my job, clock out and do whatever I do after hours. And then that's it. I don't want a promotion. I don't want any added responsibilities. I don't want to learn any new systems. So don't assume your boss knows. Mm-hmm. Tell them, have that discussion. How is compensation structure? How is uh, promotion structure? And they're like, well, I'm not exactly sure. Then go into your HR person say, hey, you know, I tried to talk to my boss. They didn't know. But I'm really curious to find out how is salary structured around here? They might say, well, we have no structure. Okay, well, I'm looking to get promoted and I really want to move into the role. Do you have any recommendations on, you know, what you've seen from your expertise and experience on how people have gotten promoted? Or is there a um, promotion structured within the company? And like I said, some companies do, some companies don't. And and now you have insight. If there's none, well, what measures or what do I need to do in order to get to this role? And if they still say, why? We have no idea. Well, then start looking at the job postings for that role you want to go after and start assessing skills you have, skills you are kind of weak at and which ones you don't have and start trying to at least get some type of experience or foundation on those skills you're not as strong at for your next upcoming role. Mm -hmm. What are the do's and don'ts for that? Because I feel like I can already imagine a lot of don'ts like, hey, I'm being underpaid here. Give me more money. I feel like that's a don't. Maybe it's not. Who knows? But uh (laughs) So what are your do's and don'ts when it comes to breaking this conversation about not being happy about your compensation or just in general, like maybe your title or responsibilities? I'll give the caveat again. I (laughs) I hate when people do this, but it really depends. It depends on your personality. It depends on your manager's responsibility or uh, personality and then the company structure as well. Where if you are a teacher at a school, there's literally a very rigid grid system if you don't hit this many years, we cannot promote it. It's state and federal. So I would give that caveat. But the big don't is don't demand 
you know, don't, de I need, or I have to, don't demand at all. Two, don't say, well, Christine makes, I found out Christine makes more money than I do. So I think I should, you know, get paid as much as Christine is. Don't make it about another person because they can easily say, well, Christine, you know, actually has a certification or Christine actually majored in this or Christine has actually experienced that. Do you? And all of a sudden, if you don't, then that disproves kind of like your, you know, kind of like yeah. the ammo you were using. So don't demand, don't base it on somebody else. Don't use it on personal experience. I'm a hard worker and, you know, I, I, I think I deserve, and I'm such a great team worker. To me, that doesn't justify. It's a business case. Hey, I bring in at least three to $5 million in pipeline every single year and sales. So, and what the market rate is paying for the skill sets that I have, it's around a hundred to 120,000. How mm -hmm. can we close that gap? That's very different. So always lead with value and then ask and it has, and practice it. Don't just don't, you can't go into a negotiation conversation. Hi, Christine. Yeah. Is, um, I wanted to ask you if, um, you know, um, I'm looking for a salary all of a sudden. Okay. That's a very weird, uncomfortable conversation. Practice it. So you sound very confident. I can sound confident saying that, you know, the word for word scripts, because I've done this so many times over and over again, I can mm -hmm. do it in my sleep. You can too. This is a, a learned skill set. It can be trained. So practice it. Don't come out, you know, listen to yourself, record yourself on audio. You know, sometimes women tend to do this where they sound like they're asking a question when they're actually making a statement. You know, can we talk about it? I wanted to get a salary increase. Okay. Well, right there, it's, it, we're diminishing yeah. our confidence. So really practice it, listen to your intonation, how you're coming across, do some things like make you uh, start stuttering. So maybe avoid those type of words. Like all these things come through again, preparation when you're having those conversations and you'll see more success rate. And like I said, don't think of um, discussing your salary as something that it's greedy or sleazy, or you only care about money, or you should just be grateful that you have a job. It's nothing like that. I consider it to be like a confidence mm -hmm. trigger if you can confidently negotiate for yourself, whether it's during the job offer or your year in review, to me, that's a great skill set because one, it shows that you are great with uncomfortable conversations. And then two, if you're able to confidently negotiate for yourself, I feel confident in giving you more responsibilities when it comes to negotiating in behalf of the company, because again, you did it successfully for you. So I have trust in you that you can do it for my company itself. So whether it's vendor contract negotiations or if I'm giving you a management role and now you're, you know, you're going to have to deal with employees negotiating their salary. You need to start thinking and changing your mindset. If you really have these beliefs that are going to, you know, keep you um, from doing the salary negotiation mm -hmm. in itself. That's a lot to process when it comes to like, being in the job, but I feel like there's also just as much when it comes to starting a new job or at least getting the offer and trying to negotiate the offer there. So I have two main questions that I got from our listeners. One is that the question you get when you have an interview where they say, what is your salary expectation? How would you tackle that? Yeah. I mean, well, it depends. So if it's at the beginning of conversation, okay. before you even discuss the role, what I would say is, you know, I'd be happy to discuss compensation, but first I really wanted to learn more about the mm -hmm. role in itself and the responsibilities. And then I'm sure we both can come to a number we mm -hmm. both agree on. 
you want to know about the job because if it's something crazy and you're like, whoa, you want me to work 80 hours a week and all of this? Okay, I want to make sure I get mm-hmm. paid accordingly. If you're if you still even want that job, or if you're a first time manager and you're like, well, you know, I maybe you've been a team lead for five people, but now they want you to be a manager for 50 people. Well, compensation should be according to that mm-hmm. responsibility. So I would leave with that question. Uh, but if it's, let's just say you discuss the compensation or they tell you, you know what, Christine, we still need to make sure that uh, we're both on board and we both are within the salary range that we budgeted for this role. Um, you, There's many different ways. And again, it's personality because I'm an extrovert. I feel comfortable asking certain questions while other introverts were like, oh God, I could never... Th- I could never say that. I I'll probably like throw up and faint and who knows and pass out. But you can ask, you know, I'd be happy to discuss that. What is the what is the salary that's been budgeted for this role? And I can tell you, you know, it's with if it's within my range. Or you can still give your salary range and give a salary range that you want, not what the market is paying. And what I mean by that is if you look up on Glassdoor and the salary range is like 80 to 120, don't say, well, my salary range is 80 to 120, knowing that if you get offered 80, mm-hmm. you're not going to be happy with it. If you will be happy with 100 to 120, then say, you know, my salary expectation for this role, based on the responsibilities and the market rate, I'm looking for a salary of anywhere between 100 and 120,000. Uh, but I'm sure we can both come to a number we mm-hmm. both agree on. So I think yeah. like on the same tangent on that, because when you ask that question and they, let's say you do have those numbers, but there's a lot of careers out there, a lot of companies where you can't exactly find those metrics. How would you even get that information with jobs or careers or industries where there's not a lot of salary information to base off of what is market rate in the first place? That's easy. So instead, you uh, you can easily use LinkedIn. So now it's even easier. Go on LinkedIn and look up someone that used to have your the role you're applying for mm-hmm. in the past. And preferably they're one or two levels above. And you want to reach out to them on LinkedIn. There's, I mean, you can Google different scripts on how to reach out to people cold on LinkedIn. And then once you're on a call with them, just say, you know, Christine, um, one of the things that I'm interested in, I'm, I'm interested in becoming um, a product manager for this company, but one of the things that still confuses me is salary range. It's something so crazy. Glassdoor had said anywhere between 40 and 180. <laughs> so um, would you be able to give me some insight into like what is an appropriate salary range, especially with someone with my background and expertise? They are more likely to tell you the answer because they're not telling you yeah. how much they're making. They're going to say, oh, back in my day when I was a product manager, I know they paid us anywhere between 80 and 100 and we had this much bonus and they give us this much commission and plus stock options. Okay. Or they might say, you know what? Um, I don't necessarily remember that well, but I know that for my our, my product managers in my team, we pay them anywhere between 80 and a hundred thousand. Uh, plus the company tends to provide stock and bonus. Then the next question you want to ask is great. Thank you for sharing that with me. What makes a candidate get offered mm-hmm. on the higher end of that salary range? And they might say, well, you know, the hardest skill to hire for is this, especially if they're a product manager, but they know how to do Python. Um, that's a very lucrative skill set to have for this role. And that's when we tend to offer a hire. Now you have a choice. Can, you know, there's, I, I honestly, I don't know about coding so much, but it's like, oh, if you already know Python, well, then you want to lead with like, you know, one of my greatest strengths or, you know, um, tell me about yourself. Well, you know, I'm a product manager and I worked across various industries and, you know, my background 
really relies on, you know, Python because I'm able to do A, B, and C because of it. So you want to lead with that? All of a sudden they're like, okay, so she's, she's, she, we need to pay her more because she has that skill set and that's very hard to find, but we also find it very beneficial for this role. So that's how you start finding out that's how, and you ask at least three to four people and now you have a good um, range for those roles in that industry. And then you decide where do you want to fall in? And that's going to be your salary range. Not what the everyone said, because it's it, they could still yeah. be a huge difference. You're like, oh, it could be 75 to 120. Well, I want to stay between 100 and 120. So I'm going to leave with that. And I'm only going to apply to jobs that pay 100K plus. And that can start with like your search on LinkedIn or Indeed that you're able to do that. And then when they ask you those questions at salary, then say, you know, I'm looking for, you know, a salary for this role based on the responsibilities, anywhere between 100 and 120. Um, but I'm sure that's uh, that's negotiable. And I'm sure we both can come to a number we both mm-hmm. agree on. You really say that to make it seem like, hey, I am willing to, because what if they, they offer you 90, but 10,000 sign-on bonus and plus another retention rate of $10,000 at the end of the year, plus this much in stock, then you're like, well, I don't care. I'm making 90. I'm still making six figures when you add everything up. So that's why you want to say that towards the end because people, companies, um, they have different ways of paying you. And in my point of view is I don't care if you pay me in pennies. If you're paying me what I asked for, I'm more than happy to take it. And I'll let you figure out what is the easiest way for you to pay me um, this much. Wow, that's definitely an interesting way of approaching that because like the way I was thinking of is like go to like a somewhat similar role and then go for the market rate of like that particular region that it may not just be that company, but it could be that region. So that's why I was like, oh, that's that's a different way. It actually does also help you out because when you go for a new job, you also want to do some networking too. You want to learn about the role. You want to learn about what's hot out there. What maybe is like something you should work towards. And that would just be like killing two birds with one stone. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So for people who want to learn more about salary negotiation, resume writing, or career coaching or whatnot, do you do one-on-one coaching workshops? Like what do you currently offer? So I do resume cover letter writing. Um, and along with that comes like how to optimize for ATS, how mm-hmm. to optimize for LinkedIn, since LinkedIn is a huge part of the job search process, at least for a lot of the jobs you know that your listeners are using. Yeah. Now, if you're a truck driver, beautician, esthetician, LinkedIn is probably not a good usage for you, but for most roles out there, it is. And so I do resume cover letter writing, LinkedIn optimization. I do interview coaching where I do mock interviews and within Mm -hmm. two, three weeks, I'll have you master your interviewing skills where, I mean, I've had clients where they get same day job offers from big companies like Amazon and Google, just because they did such a great job that they're, they don't want to lose this candidate. So Mm -hmm. they're like, you know, we had a few interviews scheduled, but we, we know we want to hire you. So we're going to just give you the job offer. And if you can let us know within 48 hours, we'll even give you this extra bonus as long as you stop interviewing with everyone else. <laughs> so like that's kind of like the situation, the, the work that I work with my clients. And then there's other levels where it's career coaching, where it's, hey, I I need help with everything. I don't know how to navigate the career strategy. I don't even know what kind of job I want. I don't know how to figure out salary. I don't have any networks. I, I really don't know anyone in this industry. I don't know how to interview or write a resume. Well, then the career coaching can help you with everything. I I'm with Mm -hmm. you every step of the way, every step of the process. And even if you were to say, Claudia, the recruiter told me they were going to follow up with me on Monday. It's now Wednesday. What do I say? 
well, then I literally give you scripts. I'm like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Just copy and paste and send it over. That's it. I try to make it very easy for everyone um, in order to get results. So that's the services that I'm offering. And now I'm, you know, I'm working on more affordable workshops as well, where, you know, like, for example, right now I'm doing a nail your next job interview overnight for mm -hmm. a workshop, $19. I want to make sure that it's accessible to people. Um, it's still, you're probably, well, if you want accessible, you should have made it free, Claudia. Well, if I make it free, you're not going to join it. There's so yeah. many things out there that I'm like, oh yeah, it's free or it's time to sign it, give your email to get this freebie. And I give my email that I never check. And then I'm like, all right, I open it. And then I never look at it again. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, it's $19. It's, it's a quick investment, but that'll be enough to be like, okay, maybe I should join. Cause I did pay $19. So let me attend this workshop and get something out of it. So mm -hmm. I am working on like these smaller workshops where it's a little bit more attainable and you're like, well, let me see what I what Claudia has to bring for $19. And if I like her, then I'll continue working with her in other aspects of it. So I'm also um, providing those types of services for people that, you know, may, you know, like I said, may want to know, like, is she the right fit for me? Is she the right personality? Um, but yeah, those are different ways that I work with clients. And through all of it really is uh, a form of salary negotiation, whether mm -hmm. it's I coach you during the interview coaching or I up-level your branding within your resume cover letter that all of a sudden you do get interviews for those more high paying jobs or career coaching where I work with you every step of the way to really, you know, make you the most top sought after candidate where you can outbeat the competition. Mm -hmm. So how could people sign up for this? Is it on your website? Is it email? Yeah. So they can go to my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. So T is in Tom, ClaudiaTMiller.com. Mm -hmm. They can schedule for a free career strategy call with me. It's usually 30 minutes. And I'm just asking you questions to figure out, one, can I help you? And two, will my services be able to get the results that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. so it's all in my website. All right. So I'll also provide all the links down below in the description, either in the video description or in the podcast description. So I do have a few last questions and I love that you're a woman of color and you're empowering so many others to get their dream jobs. How was it like for you on your journey as a woman in this career or in general, like empowering others? Yeah, it's like I said, it's been for me, it was really hard because I was the first one in my family to graduate. I honestly think high school, but mm -hmm. let alone college and then grad school. So it, I felt it very hard. It's not like I could, like even my FAFSA, my mom still up to this day probably doesn't even know what FAFSA is or how to apply to an application or, you know, I, my mom, my parents never took me to a college tour. I either mm -hmm. took myself or to school did. Like, so it's a really brand new landscape for me. And one of the things that I want to make sure that I do is provide that guidance to other women. So as a woman of color, not only, you know, I was born in Guatemala, so, and then, like I said, first in my family to attend college, it really was hard. And especially when not seeing a lot of women in leadership roles. So when I went, was in my master's program, my whole entire class was women, all women. But yet when I looked into the healthcare setting and in public health, most of the leadership roles were men. So I'm like, mm -hmm. how is it that a full class of women, but yet they're not represented in leadership roles? Yeah. So that, you know, I had to kind of forge my relationships and, you know, I still have mentors that are men, but also I seek out women leaders that how did you get there? There's a different landscape that they have to navigate. And that's really why I started my podcast 
roadmap to the executive suite because I feel like there's so many misconceptions about being a woman in the C-suite. What I hear a lot is, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be an executive because I want to make sure I'm there for my family. I want to be able to have time for me. I don't want to be overworked and, you know, never spend time with anyone. And then for what? When, you know, all these other, these conceptions that we have. But yet when I bring the executive women, they have a life. They spend time with their kids. So it's all these things I want to make sure I bring to light to really give everyone a full understanding of what it can look like. Yeah. And they can make that decision whether they eventually want to be an executive suite or maybe they don't. Maybe they just want to be a director, senior director. But I want to make sure I provide people the information in order to make an informed decision. So mm-hmm. um, that's really what I strive to. And really understanding that, I mean, the stat is like even um, Hispanic women get paid 56 cents on the dollar. An African-American woman gets paid around 64 cents on the dollar. You know, a white Caucasian woman gets paid 70. Now I think it's 80 cents on the dollar. And even um, Asian women, they actually get paid 90 cents on the dollar. At the end of the day, we're still not getting paid as much as our white male counterparts. We are Mm -hmm. not getting paid that dollar. So one thing that I tell everyone, you know, especially like women and persons of color is negotiate your salary because we're already being grossly underpaid. So we need to negotiate that salary to really close that gap or at least minimize it since we're already, you know, you know, um, statistically we're already being paid a whole lot less than mm-hmm. other people. So we, it's a must for, to negotiate our salary. It's not a, what if it's you have to, and it's a must to start preparing for it. So that way you can enable yourself for success. Mm-hmm. And I think that can resonate with a lot of women too, like either you're younger or you're older, or maybe like your background grew in a way where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm less than men or something like that. But it's just very inspiring to hear you say that because I think a lot of women are still in that same rut. And I think they just need that push to say like, you can do it. So if you really want that help, definitely check out her career coaching services. They're down below and also listen to her podcast. I am really excited to listen to your podcast now that I hear about the true story behind it. Uh, so one few, a few questions left. Yeah. What is on the horizon for you in 2022 now that we're actually wrapping up 2021? Well, I mean, personally, um, you know, my husband and I are moving to North Carolina in a few weeks. So it's, you know, being in a new state, getting to know new people. And we're, you know, currently trying to conceive. So we're maybe be a baby in a way or I'll be pregnant, hopefully. Um, And as far as my career, like business wise, um, one of the goals that I'm working actively right now is in the next two years, I want to help women increase their salary by a million dollars collectively. So I'm working aggressively on how can I make that happen? How can I empower more women to negotiate their salary so we can bring each other up? No more glassing. It's like, let's get rid of it. I don't care. You know, I'm not even trying to get women paid as much as their white male counterparts. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get women paid, you know, what the market is willing to pay. So if it's more, then let it be more. But that's really what I'm striving for um, on how can I help with this initiative and helping women feel more confident in asking for more and getting paid what they actually deserve. Mm-hmm. And where can we find you on social media? So my Instagram is um, at Claudia T. Miller. And then if you look me up on LinkedIn, um, same thing, it's LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash Claudia T. Miller. Um, I'm honestly not on Twitter and TikTok. I'm working on it, but there's still not a page yet. Um, but yeah, I think those are the best ways, LinkedIn and Instagram or check out my website. And then through there, you can find a lot of my um, 
like different resource free resources that I provide and share with um, you know people that are interested. All right. So thank you so much. It was definitely a very enlightening episode. I feel like a lot of people wanted to know about salary negotiation. There is, there's just so much clouding around it. They're like, oh, I feel like it's a taboo topic. But at the same time, you need to know about it to do it. And we also need to close that gap for women. So thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. And hopefully everyone listening is understanding everything. And if you don't, you can reach out to Claudia.